amen and amen. Hey, if I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm excited to be with you again this weekend. Uh, this last week uh, was a little bit different than we were anticipating, but I just wanted to start and say I just love that song that Andy sang. And I really love, the, the thing I love about it is the heart behind it that says, I know I don't have much to give, but God, I want to give you everything that I've got. I don't have much in my pocket, but God, it's yours. I love it because it just has this spirit that I'm not just looking to receive, I'm actually looking to give. I'm not just looking to hold on to everything, I'm actually looking to let go because I know that if I want more of God, that means that I actually need less of me. So God, would you help me to actually create the space so that I can experience more of what you want to give? so that you can actually take me where you wanna go. And today what I wanna talk to you about is this idea of finding joy in surrender. It's called finding joy in surrender. And so this last week in the Barron's household, we were pretty sick. I don't know if you've heard of this, but we caught this new thing that's called COVID. And even hearing that word come out of my mouth, it kinda just sounds like I'm cussing or something. It sounds like I'm saying like Voldemort or I don't know, Bruno, and I know we don't talk about Bruno, no, 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 if you don't know what that is, get with the times, that's what's going on, but we got hit pretty hard, we were like hitting the puffs with lotion, we had coughs, we had body aches, we watched Moana approximately 18 billion times because we have two small kids, and to be honest, I wasn't all that mad about it because that movie's delightful, but what I realized this week is that the worst part wasn't what I was feeling, it was actually seeing the rest of my family in pain. And you know, I could tell right away that my wife was feeling pretty uncomfortable. I know this because I asked her and she told me I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable. So I knew she wasn't feeling great, that's how I knew. But even worse than what was happening to my wife was actually watching my kids struggle. I mean, they were radiating heat and everything in me just wanted to take whatever sickness they had, take it out of them and put it in me. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, please, Lord, I volunteer as tribute, just make this stop. Both of the girls had fevers that went up to 104, so we were doing everything that we could to just get them to break, and we were able to get Addison to take some infant Motrin, and that knocked hers down a bit, but Brooklyn, friends, was just refusing to take anything. She, like, covered her mouth. She spit it out. She screamed. She ran across the room. She threw herself on the floor. She stiff-armed me, Marshawn, on the beastquake mode run. She was doing everything in her power to avoid having that in her body. And I was just thinking, girl, if you know what this medicine would do for you, you would be sucking this little medicine based or thing dry and asking me for another round. I was thinking, girl, if you just knew, like if you knew how much this would help you, if you knew how much better this would make you feel, if you just knew that this wasn't about what I want, it's actually about what you need in this moment, you wouldn't be fighting me on this, you'd be asking me for it. But she just kept fighting and it was so hard to watch because she was just expending so much energy trying to avoid the very thing that her little body needed to heal. And I just wanted to like shake her and be like, girl, I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. I need you to lay down what you want right now just long enough so that I can give you what you need. And it got me thinking about how much of my life, really, I've spent just kicking and screaming, trying to avoid the good things that God is trying to give to me. You know, saying, I appreciate your suggestion, God, but I think I've got it from here. That's not what I want to do right now. You know, sometimes you have to see things in other people before you can see them in yourself. 
And this week it was just clear as day. It's like, Brian, this is what you look like when you say no to something that I'm asking you to do because you don't feel like it. You look like a little toddler throwing themselves on the ground to avoid the very thing that they need to heal. He said, I need you to trust me. I need you to lay down what you want just long enough for me to give you what you need. I need you to surrender. It says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is such an incredible passage. And I just want you to know, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word surrender. But I need you to know that in this context, in the context of God, it's not bad news, it's good news, it's not a setback, it's actually the way forward. It's the only way that we can receive all that God has in store for us. It's the only way that we can get where God created us to go. And today what I want to do is just really look at three things that God's calling us to surrender so that we can experience more of him. This is why I'm calling it finding joy and surrender because when it comes to God, surrendering isn't always about what we're letting go of. It's about what we're creating space to hold that God wants for us. And so the first thing that God's calling us to lay down is actually our preferences. And the the Apostle Paul wrote this incredible letter uh, to the church of Philippi in, in Philippians 1, 21 through 26. It says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, This will mean fruitful labor for me. me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better for me. But But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. And so what Paul's wrestling with is what he wants versus what's best for others and what's best for what God actually has in store. And I love this verse because what it shows us is that sometimes, guys, get ready for this. This is so crazy. Life is not about us. It's crazy. Sometimes the gauge of your success isn't actually what we experience. It's about what others experience through us. Sometimes the gauge of spiritual maturity isn't getting what you want. It's actually choosing what you don't want so other people can experience what they need. Paul's writing this from prison, and he says, if it were up to me and my preferences, if this was about me, I have a very obvious choice in front of me. I would choose death. Because for me, death isn't something I'm avoiding. That means I actually get to go be with Christ. I'm actually quite looking forward to death. He says, Jesus, come quickly, but I need everybody to say but. But, he said, even though death might be the thing that I want, I realize that there's more to life than my preferences. There's more to life than what I want right now in this moment. God actually has a plan for me. He has people around me that he actually wants me to work in and through. Friends, this is so important. It's so simple and yet so profoundly countercultural. I need you to hear this again. It is not about you. I want you to look at your neighbor. We're going to make some friends today. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell him it's not about you. I want you to look at your other neighbor and say it's not about you either. He's talking to everybody here. You can look on the chat. You can say, it's not about me. This might be the most helpful statement that you hear all week. It is not about you. I didn't know this when I started writing this message, but somebody told me that apparently the first line of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, that sold 50 million copies, uh, is, is not about you. It's not about you. 
People were eating it up like hotcakes. I don't understand why they were. Like, I just love how he starts it. He said, if you want to find purpose, if you want to find joy, where do we start? We start by acknowledging the fact that it's not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our opinions. It's not about our feelings. It's not about what you want. In fact, sometimes God, for him to get what he wants, that means us doing something that we don't want. Paul says, I'm going to stay but it's not for me that I'm staying. It's for the rest of you. It's for your progress. And it's for your, there it says, joy. It's for others' joy that I'm actually going to stay. I'm going to choose to lay down my preferences. It's not about you. This is true in life, but it's also true in church. And this is where it gets slightly awkward. We're called to surrender our preferences. And I love this. We've, we've heard this quote before, some of us, but uh, Francis Chan has this incredible quote. He was talking to somebody after a worship service, and apparently they didn't think too much about the songs that they sang that weekend. And they told Francis, you know, I didn't really like worship today. And without batting an eye, Francis looked back at him and said, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. He's like, it's not about you, dude. That's, that's okay if you didn't like worship because we weren't here to worship you. We were here to worship God. And don't get me wrong. Every single week, I hope that you show up and you leave better than when you came. I hope that you're encouraged and challenged and moved. That's my heart every week. But I need you to know something. We're not here to please you. We're actually here to please him. Amen? That's actually what this thing is about. Church isn't about you actually getting all of your preferences met. It's about you laying your preferences down and saying, how much can I give to God? Because the amount that I can give to God, that frees up capacity for God to actually move through me and push me forward. We're called to surrender our preferences. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I'm actually calling you to surrender something bigger than your preferences. Your preferences are incredibly hard to lay down, but there's actually something I'm calling you to that has a cost. He says, I'm calling you to surrender your possessions. He says, I'm calling you to surrender your, your possessions. And I actually want to show you this with two different stories. But first, I need you to know that these two stories are so connected. They actually need each other in my mind so that we can see the full scope of what Jesus is trying to do. The first story is in Luke 18. So Luke 18, remember that number 18. I'm going to read this to you. This is about the rich young ruler. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's important. He's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man says, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He says, then come and follow me. And I think this is the essence of the whole scripture. We miss it so oftentimes, but notice what Jesus, what his actual motivation is more than anything else. He wants this man to follow him. He says, come and follow me. It's not about what he's asking him to lay down. It's that he's actually asking him to come and follow him. That's his motivation. That's Jesus end game. That's his goal. That's always Jesus goal because Jesus always loves people and wants what's best for them. Jesus doesn't want this man's stuff. He actually wants this man's freedom. And so he says, for you to get freedom, you actually need to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, not because God is against you owning stuff, but because God's against stuff owning you. He's saying that far too often in life, it's the blessings that God gives you that become the greatest barriers to you seeing God for who he truly is. 
Oftentimes with the blessings in our life, they become so distracting that we can't see through them and see who's right in front of us. Far too oftentimes when our hearts get consumed by what we've got, it becomes difficult to see who we've got right in front of us. And in this story, Jesus is literally right in front of this man saying, follow me. But he just can't see him clearly. And because he can't say goodbye to his stuff, friends, he ends up saying goodbye to Jesus instead. So that's the first story, Luke 18. Luke 18. Then if we turn our page, it's actually going to Luke 19. So this is the beginning of Luke 18, or the beginning of Luke 19. We just did 18. For you math people, this is the very following passage. It says this. You might know this as the story of Zacchaeus. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. That's important. He wants to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he actually did something about it. He went and ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. That's, that's what we do. He, he has gone to be the guest of sinners. Verse 8. After Jesus has some time with him, Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus says to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Today, salvation has come to this house. So this story has a very different ending than the first story. This story ends with joy instead of sadness. It ends with generosity instead of selfishness. It ends with connection instead of isolation. And here's what I want you to see. So if I was the person who was actually going through and naming Bible stories, I wouldn't call this story Zacchaeus the tax collector. Here's what I would call it. I would call it the rich young ruler who said yes. The rich young ruler who said yes. First story is chapter 18. It's a rich young ruler who says no and walks away sad. The second story is chapter 19. You turn the page and there's a rich young tax collector who says yes. You see, these are the same stories. They're meant to mirror one another. They just have a different ending. And there's one important distinction I want you to see. In between these two stories, there's, incredibly, there's an incredibly important verse that separates the two. Jesus is talking about here's what it takes to actually get into heaven. And he's talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And people are like, how can we be saved? And he says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man is possible with God. So here's the difference between these two stories. It's actually the fact that one of the stories, the character is focused on himself, and in the other story, the character is focused on God. In the first story, here's what I want you to see. The first story, the, the character is actually asking Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? He wants to know, what can I get out of this relationship? And in the other story, he's asking, what can I do just to catch a glimpse of this Jesus? I'm going to do whatever I have, even if it's climbing up a tree, just so I can get a look at him. He was actually interested in Jesus, not what Jesus had for him. And one of these stories, it thinks that Jesus wants his stuff, and the other sees that Jesus actually wants his heart. One of these stories, it's about Jesus actually giving him the answer that he's looking for. And the other story, Zacchaeus actually sees that Jesus is the answer that he's looking for. 
And when he realizes who Jesus is, when he realizes who's literally standing in front of him, everything changes. It says, look, Lord, here and now. This is what happens when you get around Jesus for even a second. Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. So one of them leaves sad and the other one leaves saved because what's impossible with man is possible with God. And what I'm showing you is God's not after your possessions. God's always been after your heart. Oftentimes our possessions are intrinsically tied to our heart. So God says, hey, I actually need your possessions so that you can see more clearly who's standing in front of you. One of them leaves sad because he thinks the story's about him and his stuff. The other one leaves happy because he actually engages. He wants to see Jesus and he sees him and everything change. Friends, this is what I want you to see. Change doesn't happen in your life because you find a new answer. Change happens when you realize that Jesus is the answer. You see, change doesn't happen when you meet an ideology or a theology that makes more sense to you. Change happens when you meet a person and that person's name is Jesus. And here's what you need to know about Jesus. Jesus has made you holy. Jesus has made you whole. Jesus has made a way where there was no way. Jesus actually chose death on a cross for you so that you could have life and have it to the full. His love for you is stunning. His love for you is real. It has no bounds and it is directed straight at you here today. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. You know, people don't change because they all of a sudden realize they were wrong and they were right. They actually change because they show up and meet Jesus and they realize that they thought they weren't loved, but they're now loved. And love is what changes people, not opinions, not facts, not any of these different pieces that we try and cling so tight to. God actually called us to be love and love is what changes people. And you know, this Jesus you might not know him yet, but I promise you this. He knows you, and his love is pointed directly at you today. And when you really see how good God is, when you set your mind on everything he's done for you, it's not a chore to, to surrender to Jesus, friends. It's a joy. It's not a chore to surrender to Jesus. It's actually a joy. I'm going to go back to the Romans 12 passage. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And that word bodies, it says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That word bodies comes from the Greek word soma. That means your entire physical person. So it's not just what you think of when you think of body. It's actually your voice. It's your mind. It's your heart. It's your limbs. It's your hands. It's everything in you. And that's what God wants. He's not just after your possessions. He's after everything in you. It's not just your preferences or your possessions. It's actually your life. God's saying it's actually going to cost you even more. But when you actually make this surrender, you get everything in return. And this is a little bit scary because Jesus says, hey, we want everything. And I think if we're honest, this is where a lot of us get stuck when it comes to surrender. We give to God what feels good and what feels safe, but we sit on the edge of surrender and wonder, can we really give God everything? Can we really take that plunge? Can we really take that jump? Because I'm pretty comfortable giving God my Sunday mornings, but I'm not all that comfortable giving him my Friday nights. 
And, and I'm pretty comfortable giving God my heart, but I don't really want to give him my habits too. Do I really have to give him everything? Because if I give him everything, then what's left for me? And I was thinking about this idea of what does it take for us to actually take that leap, to take that jump? And I've been thinking, and we were, we've been taking our, our sweet girls to swim lessons for the past couple years. And I was remembering uh, this week when we were first trying to get Brooklyn to, to jump into the water, to, to, to jump to me, and I was standing a couple feet away from her, and I just had my hands outstretched to her. And I just remember, because she was sitting on the side of the pool trying to decide whether what I was asking her to do was safe, and I could just see it in her eyes. She was just scanning the situation, thinking about everything that could possibly go wrong. This was no easy decision for her. This was like serious business. It was two feet to me, but for her, this was like life or death. And so I had my eyes locked in on her, and I started talking to her. I said, you can do this, sweetheart. I said, you are brave, you are strong, you have everything that you need, you can do new things. But she was not all that impressed with what I had to say. None of that made any difference to her. And so I ended up switching tactics. Instead of focusing on her, I actually focused on what she was jumping to, which is me. And I said, sweetheart, I will not drop you. I said, sweetheart, I am committed to catching. You said, sweetheart, I am somebody who knows how to swim and you will be safe. I promise, I am strong, I know how to swim. And that's apparently what she wanted to know because that's actually what it took to get her to jump. It seems like that's what she needed to hear because she finally jumped and I finally caught her and I swung her around and we acted like she had just won the Olympic games that she'd been training for her whole life because we were just a little bit extra like that. But we were just celebrating this moment. But what I realized is this, friends, is that our ability to surrender has less to do with how scared we are of letting go and more to do with how much we trust whoever's going to catch us. Like if you want to know how to actually muster the faith, it's not by finding faith in yourself to say, I'm strong enough to make this jump. What's actually going to make us confident is God's strong enough to catch me. You see, before she jumped, she didn't want to know how strong she was. She wanted to know how strong I was. She didn't want to know how brave she was. She wanted to know how safe was the person that she was jumping to. And here's what I'm trying to show you. Some of you are stuck on the other side of surrender because you're so focused on what you're leaving behind that you're not actually seeing who you're jumping to. You're trying to figure out if you have the strength to make the jump instead of whether God has the strength to catch you. And friends, I promise you this right now, right here, he does. He does. He has the strength. If you take a little bit of courage and that courage comes from actually seeing who you're jumping to, not what you're jumping away from, he will catch you. And here's the reality. I can tell you that he's safe and I can tell you that he's worth it and I can tell you that he's faithful and I can tell you that he's done it for me. But unless you make that jump for you, you will never truly surrender and know for yourself that he is safe. You can't have a secondhand story when it comes to God. You actually have to jump. You can't actually take somebody else's word. You actually have to take your own courage and see him to be true in your life. At some point, you've got to jump. And this is just a side note. This is a bonus, but I was thinking about it. The longer that you wait to jump, the harder it gets. 
the harder it gets, the longer you wait. And at some point in your life, you have to jump so you can stop waiting for the right time to jump. Now is the right time to jump. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. There's never a wrong time to surrender to God. He will catch you. He is strong. He is all of those things. And no matter what it feels like on your end, he is safe. He is good. He calls us to surrender our preferences, surrender our possessions, surrender our person. Surrender our soma, surrender our hands, surrender our hearts, surrender our voices, surrender everything in us. Why? Because he wants what is best for you. This is what you need to know. God's not only safe, he wants an even better story for you than you want for yourself. I was thinking about it. I want my kids, when they hear my voice, I want them to have just absolute trust in my voice so that even if I ask them to do something that doesn't make sense, they can trust me because they know that I want more for them, not less. I want my girls, even if they're confused by what I'm asking them, to know that I want joy for them, not sadness. I want better for them, not worse. In everything in me, I want beauty for them, not brokenness. I want them to swim. I don't want them to be stuck on the sidelines watching the other kids in the deep end. Now I was thinking when God invites you to surrender, not only is this safe, but you need to know he doesn't want less for your life, he wants more. He doesn't want worse for your life, he wants better. He doesn't want brokenness for your life, he wants beauty and joy and purpose. He wants you to live your life, not to be on the sidelines, just thinking about taking that next step. He says, you're thinking too much about what you're leaving behind and you're not thinking enough about the fact that I am strong and I will catch you. And what's on the other side is actually better than what you're leaving behind because my plan for your life is so much better than you could ever imagine. That doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It's probably gonna be harder than you would choose. But through that difficulty, through that challenge, I am going to show you joy every step of the way. Keep your mindset on me and keep walking and I will show you what you were created to do. But before you get to live out your calling, he's saying, I need you to trust me. I need you to surrender what you want for long enough for me to actually give you what you need. I need you to just let go in this moment of, oh, I don't feel like it. Because all the best things in life are on the other side of that fear. A couple quick thoughts on surrender. First thing is surrender isn't something that we do once. And in fact, the more that we surrender, the more that we're asked to surrender. The more that we surrender, the more we're asked to surrender. It's not a one-time thing. It's a progressive learning that we learn over the course of our life. It's kind of like when you pass first grade and what your goal is or what what you're rewarded with is second grade, which is actually harder than first grade. It's actually about increasing your capacity to let go. If you're looking for easy, you're looking in the wrong place. God doesn't want your life to be easy. He wants to make you stronger. He wants to prepare you for the purpose that you were made. Surrender isn't something we do once, it's something we do constantly. It's like breathing. I I was going to show a picture. There's this picture I found online. All the surrender pictures that I looked up that were like Christian were on the top of a mountain and people had hands outstretched and there was a ray of light. I was like, I don't really like that picture because it makes it look like surrender is something I have to go up to the mountain and I have to have this experience to do, but I kind of want it to be something that I'm doing all the time. I kind of want it to be something I'm doing in the middle of a fight. I kind of want it to be something I'm doing every step that I take, just like breathing. It's actually filling me and inviting me to see more of what God has for me in a moment, not less. Surrender isn't something that you do later. 
Friends, I don't want old stories of surrender. Oh, I'm surrendered to God because a decade ago I did X, Y, Z. No, surrender isn't something you do once and then move on. It's something that you're continually doing. The more you surrender, the more you surrender. Pastor Judah Smith said this. He said, you're only as surrendered as your next step. And I want my next step to be in the direction of God's calling. Surrender is something that happens now. Not because God wants less for you, but because he wants more. And here's my question for you. What is God asking you to surrender today? What's getting in the way of you seeing all that God has in store for you? Maybe it's your preferences. Maybe it's your possessions. Maybe it's just that fear of taking that next step and giving God everything. But I want to close like this. I want everybody to hold out. You can hold out both hands. I'm just going to do one because I have a microphone and one. But I want you to hold out your hand like this, and I want you to clench your fist. And now I want you to do something. I want you to clench it tighter. 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 I want you to hold it. Keep holding. Keep holding. Until it hurts a little bit. Friends, you see, the problem is that most of us have a picture of freedom that looks like this, holding on to the things that we were never created to hold. A lot of us have a picture of freedom that looks like this, desperately clinging to keep our preferences, desperately clinging to keep our stuff, worried that what we have might be taken. Keep on holding, keep holding, keep holding, keep holding. But friends, this isn't what freedom feels like. This is, you can let go. This isn't what freedom looks like. This is because you can't receive from God if you have a closed fist. He's saying, will you actually let go and let me actually overflow your life in such a way? And I can't get what I need to get you if you're just holding everything that you have like this. Friends, it's no wonder that your head hurts. It's no wonder you're so stressed out. It's no wonder your blood pressure is high. Man, if I do this for one minute, I'm just sweating. This is not what freedom looks like. This is not what it feels like. I'm tense. I am stressed out. This is what true freedom feels like. This is what true freedom looks like. It looks like letting go. It looks like surrender and realizing that God has so much more. He's just saying, trust me. Will you believe that I want more for you, not less? And if you're listening right now and you're saying, yes, that is me, I just want to invite you into a moment of surrender. I don't think we have enough moments in church where we actually get to take a next step, where we actually get to like plant our foot in the ground and say, I am going to do something new. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us. And if you sense God knocking on the door, I want to invite you to pray along with me and say this in a moment. I just want to give you an opportunity to surrender even right now. So we'll, we'll all of us just bow our heads and close our eyes. And you can pray along with me if you're just in a spot that you're saying, God, I've got some things that I need to let go of. I've got some things that are clouding my vision. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, God, I admit that there are things that I have held too closely to. I admit that there are things that I've clung to, God, that have gotten in the way of me seeing you. And God, in this honest moment, in this quiet moment, I just confess God, looking at your mercy, looking at your kindness, God, I want to let those things go. 
I want to take my clenched fist and I want to put it open so that I can actually experience all that you have for me. God, in this moment, I choose surrender. In this moment, I am laying down my preferences. God, I know that what I want is not what drives me. God, what you want is so much more. God, right now, I'm releasing, God, the clinging to all my stuff, to my possessions, to the thing. God, if they've created too much of my identity, God, I let them go in this moment. I am planting my flag. I'm saying, I want less of me and more of you. God, I am letting go. I am jumping, not because I'm strong, but because I know that who I'm jumping to is strong. God, help us to see the things that you want us to let go of. Help us to see the things that we're clinging to. Help us to surrender. God, help us to find the joy that comes when we realize that what we let go of pales in comparison to what you're giving us. What's right in front of us. God, in this moment, you are here. And so, Jesus, we just pray, God, that you would move in us. God, make us a surrendered people. Make us a joy-filled people. Make us a people whose minds are set on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.